passage is Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is the fifth week on this same exact text. Um, two verses, two huge verses. Uh, well, not huge in length, but huge in meaning. And last week, I, want, I focused on this portion, verse 17. Um, For in it, that is in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. The righteous shall live by faith. And um, I gave you a message. And the basic point of that message is that all of life um, is about believing in the gospel. Um, I, I quoted you from, um, I think, one of the finest pastors, theologians of our time. This is Timothy Keller. In an important paper he wrote where he said, the gospel is not the ABCs of Christianity. It's not some basic, small, little um, idea to get you into the kingdom of God. It is the A to Z of Christianity, that's the way he put it. And so that living by faith is really learning to live more and more and apply the gospel to every aspect of your life. That was really the key point of last week. And today is really essentially a continuation of that message. And um, I am entitled today's message, um, Repentance by Grace. What does believing in the gospel in all the different, you know, and applying it to all the different aspects of our life, what does that kind of practically look like in your day-to-day? And that is repentance. That's really what it is. That's what we're talking about. Now, um, I know that repentance is not considered a fun word, <laughs> okay? And so today's message, you're going, really? This is what we're going to talk about today? Repentance is like, it doesn't seem like it's going to be you know, maybe the most, you know, earth-shattering thing, but um, maybe this, is, this might sound a little overblown, but I, I want to make this claim, and um, it isn't so much because I'm going to be such a great preacher today, but what we're talking about today, if you could receive this word and really bring it into your heart and live in this word um, every day, um, I, I, I venture to say it will really be uh, life-changing. It really will be. Um, repentance by grace every day. So let's get into it. Um, part one, all of life is repentance. All of life, that's for the Christian. If you have given your life to Jesus and you've been born again by the Holy Spirit um, into new life in Christ, all of life is repentance. Part two, um, gospel waltzing. Now, if you are part of our, our discipleship movement, You'll know what that means, but, um, but maybe you don't remember. <laughs> but it's such an important thing. Um, gospel waltzing is, in our church, how we talk about repentance. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll get into that when we get to part two. Part three, I'm going to close with a story that I, that I think is about living in the gospel every day. Right? Living in the gospel every day. So let's get into this part one. All of life is repentance. It's a quote. Um, from one of the most famous and important pastors of all time, that's Martin Luther. All of life is repentance. Um, and so let's start like let, let's start this way. Um, what is repentance? Okay. And 
I think a lot of people don't like this word and they don't think it's a welcome idea or a concept, probably because you have the wrong idea of what repentance is. Repentance in the gospel, according to the Bible, a lot of people think it means something like this. It is feeling bad or feeling remorse about doing something or being sinful. Doing something sinful or being sinful. Is that basically what you think it is? That's what repentance is, right? You have to repent of your sins. And so you're bad in some way. And it's clear to you. I mean, you don't disagree with it. You agree with it. And so, okay, here we go. Repenting, right? And it sounds so, oh, you know, it sounds like so eat your carrot and take your vitamin and do your exercise kind of. That's, that's not what it's about, okay? Um, we actually said it in our confession of sin. Um, I would say this feeling bad about something that you've done or something that you are, the more proper word for that is remorse or maybe penitence. That'd be the older word. Um, that's, a, that's an older word. Um, you know, it's not a bad thing. Um, if you're a human being, I mean, if you never feel penitent or remorse about something, I mean, I said this last week, you're, 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 you're probably a psychopath, okay? And so, you know, uh, you need some serious, serious help or we, we should lock you up, Okay. Um, but if you're a normal human being, and I'm not even talking about an especially very sensitive or a person with, with a strong conscience, I'm just talking normal, right? Um, you're, you, you, you have times in your life of, of penitence. And uh, what are you supposed to do with that? And um, maybe if you don't believe in God, I mean, what are you supposed to do with that? There's like, there's just you and You've done something really, really crummy or you know, you've figured out something about yourself and it's really messed up and you're really not, you're ashamed of it. And um, if there's no God, I, I really don't understand um, people who, who don't believe in Jesus. I mean, in this, in this pence, I, and I'd be really, I hope this doesn't sound condescending. I feel a lot of compassion and even pity if you don't know Jesus, because at some point in your life, if you're a human being, you're going to have this, you're going to have this. It's in your mind, it's in your feelings, and there's something in your life that you've wrecked and something that you've done or something that you are. And it's, it's really bad. Huh? But you have no person to take it to. Um, it's, just really, it's just really appropriate. Today, this is in, you know, we don't do this every single week because we don't do the confession of sin every single week. Not because it's not a good thing to do, but because um, in our church, we don't think you should fixate on sin. <laughs> you should fixate on Christ, the conquering of a sin, right? And uh, so we don't do it every week, but we did it today because, you know, you, if you're going to be real about yourself, you have to be real that you have sin. And if you're going to go come before God, you need to confess that sin and seek forgiveness. And we did that today. And it's really appropriate. But... Um, just, I want to say a little something about this. I, I, I even wonder, do some people avoid going to church today? I, I even noticed that uh, today the people who say they're Christians, you know, they go to church. It used to be if you, you said you were a Christian, you go to church generally every week, <laughs> okay? Um, today you're like, there's so many people, oh, I'm a good Christian. I go two out of four, right? And that's the Christians. These are the self-professed Christians. And of course, there's lots of people who even grew up in the church and, um, well, then they don't even want to go to church. It's like, as soon as they hit 16, 18, 21, you know, it's like, that's it. You know, they don't want to go back. And I, I really wonder if this is it, right? Because they know that somewhere you go to church 
and they'll tell you that you were bad. <laughs> I mean, because that's, that's, that's what they know, that somewhere in this book, that, that's where it's going to be. And I also think that somewhere they know that if you're going to go before God, they just intuitively know that they're not good enough for God. <laughs> so it's, even not, it's not even just about church is going to tell you you're bad. And you know what? I can really understand. That's going to make you feel bad about yourself. And who the heck wants to feel bad about themselves? Right? Um, but I wouldn't want to say that if a church is, 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 honestly, if it's a bad church, it just tells you you're bad and you failed the law and you need to try harder. That's not a really good church because that just only has, like, it, just, it only gives you legalism. It only leaves you with, with uh, how you fail. But in a good church, it gives you the gospel, which is the great realization. So let me quote one of my favorite pastors. One of, he's one of my heroes. His name is Jack Miller. You know, he likes to tell, he tell his congregation house. So I'll tell you to you, you're actually a lot worse than you think you are. Okay? He would say it this way, cheer up. You're a lot worse than you think you are. <laughs> but then he would say, but there's a savior. He's a lot greater than you think he is. He's a lot greater than you think he is. And um, if you go to church, that, that's, you know, we have to deal with who you really are. It's, and it's terrible. You're actually, you mean I'm actually worse than I think I am, but I think I'm pretty bad. But actually, repentance, see, now that's all you got. That would be penitence. I'm actually a lot worse than I am. Ah. But this is better than that. Repentance is a beautiful and wonderful thing. So I wrote this down. I want to screw this up. It's the pathway to a new kind of freeing and joy-filled life where you're not in bondage to yourself and the pride of your self-preoccupation. How about that? Repentance is actually being freed of yourself. How about this? Repentance is living in the gospel. It's a response to a grace that's been done for you by, by God through his son Jesus. That's repentance. Repentance is always response. It's not you having to do something to fix yourself. It's actually a response to something that's been done for you. Um, let's, let me say it this way. Repentance at its truest is something we do not out of fear or condemnation, but it's always motivated by, it, always motivated by grace, mercy, love. See, repentance lives and breathes and is empowered. It's, I would say it's immersed, it's baptized in grace, mercy, and love from the most important person in your life, God. <laughs> okay? So repentance isn't just about, here's a big problem. This is, this is terrible about me. And now, okay, let's go fix it. But if you've, ever, if you've ever lived your life, you know this problem you can't fix. You tried it. You try to fix it. You try to fix it. And if you go to a bad church, they'll say, well, we'll try harder. And that's all they give you. And then you're like, that's it? That's all you got? And then if that's all the church ever teaches, why would you ever want to go there? I don't want to go to a church like that. But if they tell you there is a Savior and what he has done for you and what he will continue to do for you is so big, you can keep going back to him and live inside of that. That's repentance. So um, let me just get at this a little bit, a little bit differently now. Now, some of you, that's, I'm making a big claim that repentance is something you should do all of your life. Really, it's really an everyday activity. 
You really believe that? Repentance is an every day. It's like you go through the morning. Hmm, I probably should have repented of like at least three things. You get through the afternoon. And most of us, some of you maybe aren't convinced. You're like, really, pastor? Really? Every day? Every day? Um, yeah, every day. Most people think of repentance when they really blew something big. And it's really obvious. And it's, you're like, ah, that's just so bad, right? I mean, you, you, you yelled at your kids and um, you picked up a, like you picked up one of your dishes and you threw it across the room and it shattered into a million pieces. <laughs> and your kids got super frightened and your wife was like thinking about calling the cops. But thankfully she didn't. And I'm sure that's none of that, it's never happened to any of you, right? Then you think about repentance. Because, you know, the alternative is jail, right? Um, but that's actually not a good way of thinking about repentance. So let's, let's, start with, um, let's start with the obvious. Most of us think about repentance when there's obvious sins, okay? I mean, I just, you know, whatever, wrath. I just named one, wrath. Out of control anger. The kind that could even maybe, um, you know, have the cops show up. All right, that's obviously worth repentance, Okay. But, I mean, how about some other ones? Um, you know, they say 80% of the men out there do porn and 40% of the women do it. So, porn, how about that one? Okay, you don't actually look at it on the internet, but you just fantasize it about it. How about that one? That's pretty bad. Um, we turn to it when we feel lonely or low. And then so there's a fantasy that somebody out there who's sexy and hot will desire me. And then you can feel better about yourself. But then mostly you just end up feeling crummy about yourself, right? How about some other ones? Um, this one is, I, don't, I think it's pretty obvious. You think uh, your life is all about material possessions. So I'm, I'm really kind of pushing the, bu the buttons of Silicon Valley here, okay? Material possessions. So I'm sure nobody in this room does this, but you run up your credit card... <laughs> and you buy that thing from Amazon, and when you put on those shoes, you just feel really great about yourself, right? <laughs> okay, you know, when you put on, when you get that new gadget, so that's the equal opportunity here. I know some of you guys are putting on the shoes too, so just let's submit it, okay? <laughs> it's just that it's probably not, you know, those pretty pumps, it's probably something else, right? But, you know, when you start running up that credit card bill, and your spouse starts yelling at you, or you start going, I, I'm not gonna be able to pay that thing. And the credit card company starts doing this thing to you, which is, called, which is basically legalized usury. <laughs> it's basically what it is, it's legalized. Usury is an old word, which means excess interest, you know? And, um, you know, that's, that's, you realize that I probably need some repentance there. How about some um, less obvious ones? So all of those, you're like, yeah, we probably need some repentance there. Uh, how about one that's a little bit less obvious? How about gossip? Um, people are all hanging out at the water cooler at work. We're at break at work over a cup of coffee. And um, they tell you about so-and-so in the other department. And um, just tear that person down for the next five minutes. Right? That's just, oh, every other day activity, sometimes two or three day, times a day. Okay, 
I don't do that, Pastor. Really? Well, we do it today through the internet. And so this is really one of the most common activities of social media. Somebody puts up some video that's super like embarrassing or tears down somebody. We're not even sure if it's true. And then, you know, a million people then go and share it. And then we participate in the deceit of it because we like tearing down other people and feeling good about ourselves. It's actually kind of like gossip in kind of like massive, mass form, right? Empowered through our technology. And um, it's a really terrible part of our culture. And let me ask you, maybe we should consider repentance here. Um, all right. Let me go, let's go even less obvious. All right? Um, covetousness. You know what covetousness is? So there's 10 commandments. You shall not murder. Okay, I don't think anybody has a problem with that one. Do you know what number 10 is? You shall not covet. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not covet your neighbor's donkey. <laughs> that one's called a weird. That, so let's just go. You shall not covet your neighbor's car. You shall not covet your neighbor's you know, promotion. You shall not covet your neighbor's, you, know, you name it, their dress. Um, but we do that all the time. All the time. It's just wanting what somebody else has. I wish I had that. Yeah, if I just had And really what it is, it's, it's a deep-seated problem of the heart. It's discontent. It's like the heart has got this emptiness. And if I could just have, oh, if I just have what she has. And you just fixate on what she has or what he has, right? Covetousness. And for so many of us, is there a fight? So one of, one of the pastors I love is Min Chung. He, he doesn't use this word repent. He just says a fight. <laughs> you got a fight? Is there a fight inside? If there, is there a fight? Then you're alive. If there's no fight, then you're dying. That's the way he puts it. Is there a fight over covetousness inside of you? There's a place. That's, wow, that's a big one for repentance. And the only way to get at that is you have to chase after contentment, not discontent, right? Let's talk about some other ones. There are sins that we don't think of sins because it doesn't seem like we're actively doing stuff. But really what they are, they're thoughts. So let's roll through some thoughts. They're actually some pretty bad sins that we should repent of. So let's, let's try some. God isn't fair. He's good to that person, but not to me. Oh, he's good to that person, but not to me. So that's like covetousness. <laughs> but we've cranked that one up to blaming it on God, right? Oh, that one. How about that one? I'm right. This wouldn't happen if she didn't screw it up. So, you know, like when I cursed her out, yeah, that she totally deserved all of that. <laughs> and then tomorrow, when I want to do it all over again, I'm right. I'm right. That's never happened to you, right? You're so holy. You never have that. You never have, I mean, you don't exactly say it that way maybe, right? But who in this room has never, ever had those words come out of your mouth? Has that had, had those thoughts roll through your mind? That's, you know, in the moment, you are so right. 
but it's all, I mean, maybe you actually are right. Maybe it actually was their fault, but in your feeling of right and in your blame of right and your judgment of right, it's all just sin. It's just pure self-righteousness. And are we thinking about repentance? Of course not. Um, I don't need anyone else. I don't need anyone else. I can take care of this myself. It's all on me. It's all on me. I, I, it's all, it's, I, I've got to do this. If I don't do this, you ever have that thought? Maybe we should repent of that. Um, there's so many, but let's just hit a few more. God is so far from me. Nobody cares about me. It's just not true. Oh, it's not true. Um, Let's get worse. I'm so bad that I won't ever make it. I won't ever make it. You say that? It's a lie. It's a lie. It needs repentance. I'm so ugly. Who can ever love me? Who can ever love me? There's a lot of depression in our society. And I think it flows out of those words. I'm so ugly, who can ever love me? You want to climb out of depression? Some pills might help, and a therapist will certainly help, hopefully a good one. But first one, how about repentance? Repentance of those words. So let me do one more. Only weak people need a savior. Only weak people need a religion. Okay, that one's a tough one. Really? Really? Only the weak people need a savior and a religion. So that means you're your own savior. You're the one who's in control and you will never ever get into a bad place where you screw things up, right? But... You should think about that again, because if you ever get into a place where you really screw it up, you'll be by yourself. <laughs> in your own mind, so this is really worse, in your own mind and in your own heart, you think you're the only person in there, and you're the only one saying these words, and nobody else hears you, right? But it's not true. It's not true. Because as soon as you fail, you'll be the one to tell yourself you're nothing you failed. Who could ever love you? <laughs> and you know, if you ever say those words to yourself, and if you're human, you probably have said those words to yourself. Let me tell you something. That's the devil. <laughs> you think you're in those words are your words. Oh, the devil's very good at taking your lips and making you say your, his words to you. The devil's a condemner, and he loves saying those words. You're a thoroughly spiritual being. And if you won't have repentance and a savior, you're on your own with the devil. And those words will be, hit you. And you'll be in big, big trouble. <laughs> and so you want out? You want some freedom from it? The pathway is called repentance. Isn't that good? Oh, it's good. So let me just make this point and then let's go to part two. 
Sin is not first and foremost bad things that you do. It starts with what you believe. That's why faith, you gotta live by faith. You gotta live by what you believe. So if you believe in false things, lies, that's really where sin starts. So it starts with what you believe and especially with what you believe about God. So sin starts in how small God is, how far away he is. You believing something false about him, about how he can't reach you, how his salvation is not good enough for you, how, his, how Jesus and what he's ever done on the cross is so, so small and irrelevant in some religious thing we do on Sunday. But if that's all there is, that's really where the sin starts. And repentance is faith. It's really what it is. Repentance is faith. Wow, okay? So let's go to part two. Gospel waltzing. What do we mean by gospel waltzing? So um, any of you ever take dance class? Okay, so here, here okay, uh, this, just, so, just forgive me here. This is what waltzing looks like. One, two, three. Okay, you go one, two, three, okay? All right, okay, it's one, two, three. Okay, imagine there's a girl. There's a box step. One, two, three. One, two, three. That's how it's supposed to do. And the girl does, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the, the corresponding opposite. Waltzes have three steps. Three, always three. Okay? Um, we learned this in our, our, our discipleship training. And so we have a, I don't know if none of you know this, but we have a discipleship making movement in our, in our church called Life on Life Missional Discipleship. And um, when I first learned this, this was our, this Pastor Monty Starks. He said, this is the tool you should use every day of your life. It's called gospel waltz. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and then he said, then he basically laid it out. And I go, oh, it's repentance. Oh, that's so good. So why is it so important that you have to know it's three steps? One, two, three, okay? Why has it got to be three? Because most people think repentance is two steps, Okay? I don't know what, what dances that have only two steps. Okay, I don't know, hip-hop, whatever. Two steps, whatever. Okay, but I, I, so we, we don't do two steps here. In the gospel, we do three. So the general two-step, the way people think about it is, that's bad. Step one, recognize and agree this is bad. Step two, fix it. Right? You drink too much. You're an alcoholic. Stop drinking Beer for breakfast. <laughs> Beer is not a proper drink for breakfast. Stop it. Yeah, that's really going to work, right? Two steps. You know, here, here's the thing. There's a recognition of the problem, and then there's a fix. Who does the fix? Who has the power for the fix? What does the person actually believe in their mind so that they can actually do this? So, you know, like you go to Alcoholics Anonymous, they have 12 steps. They know you can't do this to this. So they take you through 12 steps because they realize, well, there's all this other stuff you got to do before you have a hope of getting to this. You know, to the average person, it's like not drinking for beer for breakfast. That seems pretty easy to do. But if your life is so dark, and your only escape and your only balm for all the pain in your heart is to drink. And you wake up in the morning 
And you said, I'm so ugly. Who could ever love me? Just think about that next time you meet someone who has a drug problem or an alcohol problem. No, they're oh, you're an alky. Keep you away, keep stay away from the kids. Um, maybe they wake up in the morning and there's a they wake up in the morning and they're like, I'm so ugly. Who could ever love me? And they think they're by themselves, but they're not. (laughs) The devil's with them. The devil's with them every day. The devil wakes up with them in the morning. They're in the afternoon. Using them as a little ventriloquist to tell themselves, who could ever love you? Three steps of the gospel. This is, oh, this is sin. This is bad. How do I actually get to the good part? Okay, there's some hopeful good part. So somewhere there's a step toward the good thing here, right? But the second step is the important one. You know what the second step is? What has Jesus done for you? What has God done for you? Christ that's relevant for this problem what has he done for you so let's go at it I'm so ugly how could anyone love me that's the belief let's go to the second step this is the second step this is the good step (laughs) wait there's this person named Jesus He's actually God Almighty. And he thought it was worth it to lay his life down because he didn't find me so ugly that he would throw me away. And he won't run away from me ever, ever. And indeed, he'll actually help clean me up and make me beautiful. That's the gospel. You know what you have to do? Step two, say the gospel to yourself and say, that's the truth. Jesus, help me. And then maybe you'll pray to the Lord and maybe he'll give you a third step. Maybe there'll be a third step. There may be a third step so you can begin to live and walk inside of this. And so maybe that third step will be stop hating yourself, brush your teeth, get out of bed, comb your hair, and stop thinking everybody hates you. Because probably they don't. And even if they do, God doesn't. And who cares what they think if God doesn't? Maybe that's the third one. It's like, it's very hard for you to do this third part. But if you can believe in the gospel... You have a chance to do that third thing. See? Three steps. Gospel waltz. You should do it all the time. All the time. Every day. You should get really good at it. And if you do, you'll have a great life. Now I want to close um, by telling you a story 
Um, I want to tell you a story. You know, it's less preaching and just storytelling, okay? I'll tell you a story about, um, about, a, uh, about a man I deeply admire. His name is uh, Nicholas Black. He's a pastor. Um, he pastored for a number of years, and then, um, and then he, he, he worked full-time for a ministry called Harvest USA. Uh, they minister to the sexually broken in our society. It's, one, it's an incredible ministry. And recently, he's gone back to full-time ministry. He's in his 60s, and if you've been with me a long time, you, you might have heard about Nicholas Black, but um, Nicholas Black... He and his wife, Nancy, incredible Christians, and they have two children and um, a, son, a daughter. I mean, they're, you know, daughter, she's like, she's, he's a grandfather now. And, um, and uh, she's, you know, she's, she's great. She turned out great, uh, loves the Lord, mom, good mom, wife, etc. But their son was younger than their daughter. Um, he was born with a really tragic genetic, uh, genetic affliction. And he is, his name is Jeremy, and he is utterly paralyzed. He's never spoken. Um, we're not talking like, you know, like paraplegic, paralyzed from here down, or quadriplegic, paralyzed from here down. We're talking paralyzed. I mean, he can move his eyes. That's what he can do. He, he's never talked. And if you're ever around Jeremy, you can, you pick up his mood by his eyes. So I've been around Jeremy, and I basically follow his eyes. If his eyes are bright, he's doing okay. If his eyes sink, he's not. And so he's like a prisoner in his own body. And when he was very young, the doctors didn't think he would make it past four. Would certainly never make it to the age of 10. He's in his 20s. (laughs) He needs 24-hour care. He's actually graduated high school. And um, obviously can't have much of a career. And, um, you know, so um, Nicholas and Nancy, they uh, take turns and then they also have, they, it's expensive. And uh, he's, in, he's in a wheelchair and uh, they have to have a special van to go anywhere with him, etc. And obviously they have very limited times for like vacation and so forth. It's a hard life. It's a really hard life. And they have, um, they spend a lot of money on, you know, like uh, overnight nurses. And so if one of their nurses that's going to do the night shift calls them and is sick, then, the, that's, then Nicholas is on. So he's going to be up all night and then he's going to, to go to work the next day. That's what his life is like. For years. Okay. Now, for the most part, there's a really heavy and hard responsibility because they, didn't, they, they, they did this because they knew they did not believe in abortion. I mean, they found out about them while, while this baby was in the womb. And, and then all their life, they said, we're going to love our son. That's an incredible burden that they have carried. And they have carried it like saints. It's incredible. <laughs> but a few years ago, Jeremy got a series of sicknesses. And he was suffering very, very badly. And it was unclear whether he would make it through that period. And I can't remember all the details. It's like his liver was failing, and then he got like pneumonia. It was, cra- it was like a Job series of afflictions that happened to him like back to back to back. And uh, they live in Philadelphia, and they took him to Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, one of the most renowned 
children's hospital in the whole world. And, you know, he was there. And they would be around the clock going down there. And members of their church would bring them food. It was intense. But um, as difficult and painful as that was, their like, son seemed, his life seemed like it was on the brink. And he's suffering greatly through all the different ailments. Um, Nicholas went into a period where he went into great darkness. And he got really angry at God. And he was basically saying, how could you be a good God and do this to this poor, defenseless young man, my son? And so a lot of people in their circles, and, and I, I'm a close friend, so I was praying for Jeremy during this period. And, um, but he also would ask for prayer for himself because he knew, this is bad. <laughs> I'm... I'm in this darkness. This is a godly man. So if, if Nicholas Black can go into a dark period of sin and have it and like not want to be climbed out, not know how to get out, I mean, I assure you, you can end up there too. This is, <laughs> Nicholas Black is on a godliness level that most of us probably can't, can never dream of getting to, quite frankly. So when I hang out with Nicholas, I always just feel like, you are an awesome man of God. I'm dumb schmuck. <laughs> and I'm so glad you considered me your friend. That's how I basically feel when I hang out with him. And yet he went through this dark period of tremendous anger and pain. And part of the anger was because he's shaking his fist at God. And so I prayed for Jeremy a lot, and I prayed for Nicholas. A lot of people were praying. And then, you know, like that period passed. Um, I didn't think Jeremy was going to make it, but he did. You know, one by one, he healed, and he came back. It was incredible. And about a, a couple years later, um, I was hanging out with him. And I said, I asked, I was hanging out with Nicholas, that is, and uh, and, uh, you know, we, we were big baseball fans. We were at a ballpark together. And I asked him, hey, how'd you get through that? And he immediately knew what I was asking. He wasn't asking, how did Jeremy get healed? He was asking, how did I climb out of the darkness? He knew I was asking that question. And here's how he answered it. He said, Susan, I was in such a bad place. And... Um, I just, it just had to be like, it was like God was like so far. That was like so dark. And I was like, but I knew that I needed him desperately. Who else could help Jeremy? Who else could help me? And so, you know what he did? He basically, I mean, he doesn't use this language. He basically gospel walls. He said, I knew I was in a really dark place and I was desperate for him. And I knew it was bad. Step one. And I, then I said, I just began to remember, wait a second, if Jesus is for me, isn't God good? If Jesus would forgive my sins and continue to be with me, isn't he good to me? To Jeremy too. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. That's step two. And so he goes, you know what? I, I can't just like have this in my head. Like I'm a pastor. I know the truth. So I'll just have the truth in my head. He realized he had better do something 
to kind of like make this faith come to life for him. So every morning, he had his quiet time, he did his devotion. I'm sure many mornings it was like a cold war with God. But then he pulled out a piece of paper and he put it in his pocket. And then throughout the day, when something good would happen that would make him feel grateful, he would write it down. He wrote it down. So he walked, you know, drive to work and the traffic was light. <laughs> he wrote it down. <laughs> he lives in Philadelphia. It's like a fall. I don't know if you know this, but like, you know, our autumn here is like, come on. I mean, like autumn there is glorious and beautiful. Autumn here is kind of boring, okay? And it'd be a crisp autumn day and he would write that down. And the Yankees would win. I know, and then he'd write that down. I'd like, yeah, bah, okay? <laughs> but he's a Yankees fan. And then his son would have a good day and he'd write it down. And his wife would have a good conversation and he'd write that down. And at the end of the day, before he went to bed, he looked at the whole list. And he saw that on most days, the list was long. And he did that again and again and again. And he said, Jesus is for me. God is there for me. He's there for Jeremy. And then the darkness dissipated and Nicholas Black came back. The great and glorious Nicholas Black came back. This is what it looks like. It's really important when you fall into a dark place. But it's even better when you're just falling down every day. The so-called little sins, covetousness, gossip. It's better. Gospel Waltz does. I like tearing down other people. But Jesus' words for me are always good, even though he can tell other people I'm bad. Hmm. Okay. I'm going to say something good about that person, even though I want to say something bad about that person. Something like that? If you do that day in and day out, joy will fill your heart and you'll have a new life in Christ. I promise. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. We often do works righteousness and pharisaical fix it ourselves. There are many people who come into the church and they think this is all we've got in the church. Oh, but so we're so thankful that is not true. What we have is you. We have you, Lord Jesus. You are the good news. And we can step into that good news every day, in the morning, in the afternoon, at night, and live in your goodness. Your goodness is running after me, is running after me, is running after me. And on so many days and so many mornings and so many afternoons, we just forget. And we just go into all our usual lies and we get so abused by the devil. And, but today, would you fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit 
and help us to gospel walks. Run to you, Lord Jesus. See you high and lifted up. See you lifted up and close so we could be lifted up. See you wiping away our tears and forgiving us our sins again and again. And renewing us and giving us new joy and new laughter. And each day, yes, there are crummy days. And yes, there are bad things that happen. But there is your goodness running after us again and again. For you love us. If you are for us, who can be against us? What can separate us from your love? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Help us believe in this and live in this. Live by faith. In Jesus' name. Amen.